Hi guys, welcome to Bottled Up Blokes Open Up Podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you use to help us grow and help to remove the stigma around men and mental health. During this pod we discuss sensitive matters such as addictions, mental health and suicide. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. So, welcome to Bottled Up Blokes podcast with me, Ben Eveson. And me, Tim Cox. Tim, it's been a while. It's been a while oh, since right, we mate. spoke. Yeah, um, on here anyway. Yeah, yeah. Our diaries have not been kind to each other. I've been, no. I mean, to, be, to be fair, I've, I've been finishing my last bit of uni work off. So, I didn't want to shoe on this and then I have to rush it and not be able to prepare like I like to. Yeah. So it made sense to hold off. So we have got a, a guest on this week, which we'll introduce soon. But Tim, with it being so long, just tell me, what have you been up to? Been up to quite a bit, really. The group's going really well, as in the whole bottled up blokes thing. We started our weekly group sessions, which it's, it's gone all right, really. Can't, can't really grumble. We've had what, two sessions now. And yeah, I'm pretty happy with them. Obviously, you've been there, both of them as well. What did you reckon to them? Yeah, it's good. I think, you know, it's it's a good outlet. And, and I think people get nervous with things like that because you don't know what to expect. I was probably the same. I was bricking but, it. Yeah. For me, it was about, like, what what was going to say and, and how it was going to feel. But yeah. actually, it's so fucking relaxed. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it has, yeah. We had, what, eight or nine people at the first one and then six at the second one. And it's what amazes me is how people that can be so open and so honest and then we just have a laugh like we did yeah it's like we it's like you talk really serious and then you're throwing you know things about that bloke had a cock on his arm for instance (laughs) yeah Um, which did take quite a lot of the um it's fantastic group up after that it was so fantastic yeah it was so but i mean before the last one i told you i had a pretty rough day i felt very busy and i felt a little bit out of control in my workload and stuff and yeah. Just going to that and just having a gas with some lads, I felt I felt all right. Do you know what I mean? It just yeah. felt nice. Yeah. Um, after both of them, I felt absolutely bang on. I've been buzzing after them both. Yeah. Especially yeah, so, like I say, especially the first one because I'm so so nervous with it, and so like, how's it going to be? Are people going to turn up? What like I say what we're going to say? And to come out of it, and you know, the feedback that we got from it were really good. And like, like yeah. I said all the time, we you know we're no experts, we're no we're not qualified in anything apart from idiots. Yeah, and for and anyone just, that's listening to this, it's basically a, a group meeting, very, very casual, at the Church Hall in South Normanton, every Thursday at 7.30. If you live in South Normanton, the surrounding areas, you're, you're more than welcome to come. You don't have to be a member of the group, but if you want to come and chat and discuss anything that's bothering you, and, you know, we're a group of blokes, you know, there's no there's no qualified professionals in there, but it's a, a bunch of youths that have been through a lot of different experiences and and you know the majority of the thing that they will do is listen and offer support which is really good and i think that's the beauty of it we will mention it again to the end but yeah it's available to any man with this being obviously a men's mental health group to to utilize as you need to but it's all been good yeah i think it's been i, I have felt a little bit lost without the podcast because it's, it's nice preparing for it and it's nice doing it and getting people on and stuff and you know We've not got tons and tons of episodes, but obviously we've got a lot of things planned, which we're going today is uh, is no different. We've got a uh, a guy on, a member of Bottled Up Blokes, 
His name's Gav, and welcome to the podcast, Gav. Thank you very much. Thank you for letting me join in. Thanks for wanting to come on, mate. Yeah, it's, it's nice to get different stories because what the hope is that someone's story can resonate with somebody else and, and hopefully, you know, provoke someone to to go and make a, a change or get some support that they need. So, so Gav, so tell us kind of where you're at now. So we've spoke before this and we've had a catch-up and stuff, so I kind of know your, your story, but I think it'll be really interesting for people to hear kind of how the last year's been for you and then what we'll probably then do is just go through everything up until that point yeah so uh, I'm a mental health nurse Uh, the last year has been quite difficult Um, obviously with lockdown and everything like that I've recently lost my driving license due to drinking yep Um, so yeah it's been a bit of a horrible year to be fair it sounds it so how are you how are you doing now then so you so when did you um lose your license it was in January, end of January, beginning of February. This year? This year, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and was the the drinking then, was that brought on by anything or? Well, I think we're going to go through this story anyway, but drinking has been a big, like, cultural thing for me. But it got worse during lockdown because we were sat at home. So I was like, oh, I'll just have a drink during the day. And it just kind of escalated from there. Yeah. I think yeah, I think that happened with a lot of people, but especially especially the start, people seem to like because the weather was so good in that in that very first lockdown, we had good weather, so people like say weren't everything was so unsure. People weren't really working, or they were working from home, and people didn't really know what was going off. So the the easy thing to do was, well, I must have a drink. I've not got to get up for work and go anywhere tomorrow, so I'll oh, just just have a couple of beers. And I, I I think it's quite a common theme that people did it as spiraled out of control for people absolutely and i've heard a lot of stories from people where like you said tim the weather was so nice they'd go out in the middle of the day and just say oh i'll have a drink and then go back yeah. to work, work online later well it's easy done isn't it you know it's you're sat there and it's just you wouldn't do it in the office you wouldn't go oh, i'll have a couple of beers but you know yourself you could sit and have a couple of beers sat at your laptop at home knowing you're not going anywhere thinking it's only a couple of beers. It's not going to affect me. But obviously, you can't do it when you're sat in the office. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a there was a um, there's a study done about lockdown, and it identified that between 26 and 48 percent of the respondents reported drinking more during yeah. lockdown. Which I, you know, I fully appreciate that because that's what I did. Because you yeah. had enough all else to do, so it was easy to go and buy a load of booze and snaffle that probably more than I would. You know, normally, so it's. Um, you see, I was I was still working at work. We still had to go in, so it yeah. weren't something. I'm not going to lie, it was hard seeing everyone and knowing that people are, are chilling out in the back garden while you're going to work, and you're thinking, well, hold on a minute, you know, these people don't have to come into work yet. I've got to, and you're kind of like, yeah, and all the people are, like, oh yeah, it's it's two o'clock, and I'm just having a beer, and you think, you bastards, I'm stuck at work. Oof. Don't get wrong, it was fun though quiet roads and easy commute yeah no students so that's it <laughs> works always Sound. better when there's no students yeah <laughs> so we'll um we'll get we'll get into that that bit of your story a little bit later on gab but i think um let's go back to it sounds like a this is your life now let's go back to the beginning <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah there's a couple of big events in your life that i think i'd like to 
explore a little bit. So I guess the first real big one is is your parents splitting up. Yeah, I mean my um my dad and mum split up when I was about one. So my dad was from Barnsley, my mum was from Warsop. Warsop. Um, Warsop, yeah. Warsop, um, so I, I, I frequently visited my dad, but then there was a period where I didn't go for a few years. And then I think I was about 12 year old. Um, my mum and stepdad split up um, and I never really got on with my stepdad. Yeah. Uh, he was quite abusive, quite a violent man. Yeah. Um, so then I decided to reach out to my biological dad. So I had a few years with him and then he died. I can't remember how old I was. I was about 21. Yeah. So um, I only really had a few years with him. Yeah, it's young to lose your dad, that is. Mm. Like I say, even though it's a, only a few years with him, it's still fucking young, that is, to lose a parent, isn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, and, and I found out later that, because he was only 49 when he died, Apparently, a lot of the men in my family don't live past fifty, and I'm like, I'm I'm forty two now, so I'm shit at myself. That's a, oh, that's a nice bleak outlook on life. Yeah. yeah, that's that's not that's not a stat that I'd have found out. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm digging grave in back garden anyway. So. Yeah. There's a lot of people that. You speak to there's a lot of obviously particularly in the media now with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard stories a lot of domestic violence stories prominent in the media. What was it like for you kind of growing up in that in that kind of environment? I always dreaded the weekends because I knew that they'd start drinking, they'd go out, we'd have babysitters. I had quite a violent little brother. Uh, I used to get knives out, so we'd have to try and get that off of him because he yeah. was above, he was always allowed to watch horror films from being like six years old. Yeah, so I, I always remember remember one one time where I had to run because we didn't have phones in the house at that time. Um, I had to run down to the end of the village with nothing on my feet. My feet were bleeding because I had to ring the police. There was another time where I witnessed my stepdad hit my mum with an ashtray while she was in the bath. Oh, um, yeah, and then there was another time where the police came out because he was my stepdad was attacking my mum so I pushed him and he fell down the stairs and then he tried to get me arrested for trying to murder him <laughs> um luckily the police came out and just laughed at him yeah because they knew they knew of him was he ever violent towards you then yes we'd always get slaps around the head mm. uh, and there was one point where I had to go to the doctors because of my earring and there was concerns about that but everything was fine after that but yeah, it was always time, violent. Isn't it? Always violent, yeah. Yeah, it's fucking sad, isn't it? Yeah. So that that's a, an awful situation to to grow up in. How do, you know, how's that does that still impact you now or I wouldn't say it has, to be fair. I think it's just made me a bit of a stronger person. But I yeah. have, uh, from my mum's relationship with my stepdad, I've got a brother and a sister. We don't speak at all. My brother's done drugs and I think he's been in prison once and he lives in the same village as me and when I do see him he blames our parents and our upbringing for all of his kind of his kind of shit really. Is that the brother with the knife? Yeah. Knife brother. Yeah he's he's got loads of gambling problems and stuff like that and he still lives with his um with his with his dad his biological dad my stepdad 
and they're all in the same village, but we don't have anything to do with them. I don't think that's a bad time, a bad thing sometimes. No, I mean, I, I don't see my mum, I mean, Tim will know as well. I don't see my mum, she only lives in the village down the road. I've not seen her since I got married. How many years ago, Tim, was it? Ellie's going to kill me. 11, same as us, weren't it? You got married in <laughs> September. I think yeah. was it September you got married and we got married in April? I can't remember, something like that. Yeah. It'd be 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so none of them have seen our children or anything like that. So, Not nice, is it? No, I'm, and the reason that I don't speak to, to my my mum, my, my biological mum anymore, I mean, we always kind of got on, but we had a bit of falling out at the same time that I got engaged to my wife. She didn't like it. There was various reasons, but none that were kind of understandable. She didn't like it because the the eldest two of our children are not biologically mine. Um, she said that I shouldn't be taking on other people's children. Bearing in mind, she's got four children from four different people. <laughs> um, <laughs> the biggest falling out is that she wanted to come on my stag do, and I said no. So she just cut all ties. Not a good situation, eh? No. But I, I mean, I've got my own family now, so I'm, I'm more than happy with that. I still see my brothers and my sister on my biological father's side in Barnsley, and we've got a good relationship. Yeah. Does it make you want to make sure that you've got a completely different environment for your family? Oh, absolutely. Living through it and knowing the impact it can have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just never subjecting them to that kind of violence. I mean, my wife, me and my wife have arguments. Every, every, everyone does, don't they? But, no. uh, yeah. Yeah, you can't agree all the time, can you? But yeah. you know, if if it turns physical or it gets excessive, then it becomes a can become a problem, can't it? It can, yeah. The next interesting thing we spoke about, and I think this is um, an interesting story of a of a, of a curveball in life. Tell us about your uh, when you just had a wander down knots down a street in knots. What 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 stemmed from that? Yeah, so I was I was at college and I was about to leave college. I was doing a a sports and tourism course that I didn't really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'd been out with a few mates down in Nottingham. We'd just got into Nottingham. We planned to go out on the piss. And we'd just pulled up and there was a careers office, a military careers office, just outside yeah. the station, walking past. And I just went, hold on a minute, lads. I'm just going to pop in. I popped in and I was there for a couple of hours. I'd signed up. And um, yeah, so they said, oh, so you're off to RAF Alton in two months. And I went, what am I going to do in the military? They went, oh, we'll do a test and see what trade's available. What do you want to do? I said, I don't, I don't really care. I just want to, I want a new career because I was working in a pub and I was just like, oh, this isn't for me. How old were you? I was 19. Yeah. At the time. Do you think you just wanted to get away? You wanted to escape what you... Yeah, what I think work, working in the pub, and I probably can come back to this a bit later on as well, is I was sick of just doing the same stuff every weekend, just going out with the lads, getting pissed, going yeah. to work during the during the day or college. Um, and it just got a bit tedious and I wanted to get away from, from the village. I wanted to, something different to do. And I never had any intention of ever joining the military 
and I always remember it's when I was talking to my mum at the time. I said, look, I'd signed up. Um, she told the rest of the family and they went, oh, you'd never make it in the military. So that made me more <laughs> determined. Why, why do people have to shoot stuff down? It probably pisses me off. Yeah. yeah. Let someone, just let someone have a fucking go. Yeah. Support them. You know, yeah, I are about saying fucking well done for trying to make something, you said. Yeah. But wind you up that? Just like, why? If, someone, you know, if, if you said to me tomorrow, I, I want to go and work in circus, I'm patting you on the back and say, good luck, pal. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> you, do, you do what you want to do, but people have got this inane ability to, as soon as you do anything outside of the norm, yeah, they have to make a shitty comment. It pisses me off. Sorry about that. Yeah. It's a bit, a bit of a rant of, of that. Quite story. angry about that, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even like I've ever had it, but just, you know, you know it's like when, when kids like tell you what they want to be when they grow up. Just let them, let them think it. Be a dinosaur. Exactly. Be a dinosaur. I want to be a famous artist. Do it then. Just crack on. Just have a good time with it. I think that that comment, though, for me, made, it, made me more determined to get through it. Because there were times yeah. where I was going through basic training and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to quit. And then I thought of that comment from the family going, oh, <laughs> you're not going to make it. And I went, no, fuck this. I'm going to do yeah. it. Motivation. Yeah. So, yeah. so you signed up and two months later you were packed off for basic training. What was your, uh, in the end, what did your trade end up being? I was an air traffic controller, so for anyone that's listening, an air traffic controller isn't someone with a bats at the end of the uh, the runway. Because <laughs> everyone Play. always always asked me that. Uh, Playing ping so pong. I was sat in a radar room. <laughs> right. Okay. So you you were looking at radars and basically uh, making sure our skies were safe. Yeah. So how old did you before? A few years was it? I did twelve years. It told Jesus. So you did 12 years in the military. I've never been in the military, neither, Tim. Just tell us a bit about your, your journey, mate, and, and, and what, you know, what you did and, you know, the impact on, on obviously, your life moving forward and stuff. Well, I did, I did my basic training at RAF Alton, so that was nine weeks long. Um, yeah. That, that was quite, um, quite intense, you know, where you're all being shouted at and everything like that and being, what do you say, broken in. <laughs> I can imagine a lot of people crumbling at that. Yeah, there was a few people that they used to call dropouts. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite difficult. I I mean, I can't say it's the same anymore. I've spoken to a friend that went through the RAF recruitment process recently, and it's it's not the same as it was when I went through, where, you know, I used to get called ginger noughts and all sorts like that by the sergeants, just constantly name-calling. They used to used to wake us up at like five o'clock in the morning um i remember i think through the nine weeks of training sleeping on the floor because i'd made my bed base up for inspection in the morning because i didn't want to have to get up early to do it and then they'd come in and throw it all out the window and say oh this is fucking shit you know and but th- there was a, a few good laughs i mean i remember there's a, a few lads went out to the local shops one day when we were allowed bought a load of porno mags and idamundit wardrobes and um all sergeant majors all sergeants uh, came in pushed all wardrobes over and was like you dirty bastards yeah we have we have sticky pages um, <laughs> <laughs> remember after basic training as well we kind of got 
after the nine weeks, we got thrown out at the gate and went, right, because I had to go to RAF Shrewsbury in Shropshire. And we just got thrown out of the gate with loads of bags. I think I had about six, seven bags full of equipment and kit and stuff like that. And we had to get on a train. And I, had, I didn't know where the hell I was going. I ended up in London at one point and I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome did, to the big did, wide world. Did that, um, how was that experience for you? Like, that's a very, I guess, what you class as a quite a toxic masculine environment to be in. Absolutely. I mean, I was I was lucky that I was with a friend. We were going to the same place, so we kind of like just played on, on each other. And we he rang his parents and said, "Can you send me some money? We need to get a train." And his dad kind of said you need to go into London, get a train there and then to Shropshire. I'll book you a taxi from Shropshire to the base. Couple, couple of blokes high on life skills there with the sounds of it. Oh yeah, but <laughs> more, I'm getting on the train with all this kit. We had to, the train conductor went absolutely mad because there was just two of us and we took up all this carriage with all our kit. Nightmare. Yeah. So you get posted to RF Shrewsbury. Yeah. What would you know? What was your your life like at that point? Oh, it was absolutely. It was a complete change. We were kind of like scared of the corporals and everybody else that were going to be there, the sergeants or the officers, because that's what we went through in basic training. But we got there and they were like, "Don't call me corporal. Just call me by my first name." Yeah. And same with the officers. They're like, <clears throat> yeah, you know, just stop saluting, you know, just fucking pack yeah. it in. You don't have to do it every yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. So it's like gone from full metal jacket to normal. Yeah. Like civilian life as such, a normal working life. So, yeah. So you went there, you started doing your jobs and stuff there. You'd almost had a massive culture shock with this really. A toxic environment breaking you in, as you said, quite violent, quite aggressive, shouting. Or I guess everything that you see when you know from from a civilian perspective, when you are watching films like Jarhead, the you know the the PTs and the aggressive sergeants and all that kind of stuff. Then going to I guess at that point when you when you go to Shrewsbury, you're made, aren't you? You're in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was kind of like we became a really strong. Like a new family for me, really. Yeah. Yes. And what was that like having that, you know, a, a family like that? It was quite refreshing because we all had the same interests. We were doing the same job, and everything just kind of like fell into place for me. But we were also quite aware that it would only last. It was thirteen weeks because then we would be shipped off to other bases. Yeah. Is that after you've done your some more training then? In yeah, what like so, in what you're going to be doing? Yeah, so we did air traffic control training and then right. we were going to be deployed to whatever bases they wanted us at. And where did you end up going across your uh, I mean twelve years a long uh, a long chunk of life in it to to dedicate to the military. Yeah, so I after that training I ended up on a train again <laughs> with all my kids. <laughs> Did you make it? <laughs> yeah, going back into London and I was based at RAF Northport in Middlesex and I was there for, I did two tours there actually. I did, um, so I did about six, six years 
I did air traffic control originally and then I went to work on the Royal Squadron they're working for the Queen oh, oh nice oh, oh, busy. Busy. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been on a few flights with Her Majesty have you, have you really yeah she's actually told me off once oh, you know, I, I need to know why <laughs> um, what what we had to do when I first started, we had to, when she used to fly from London to Edinburgh, we used to have to do a map, print out a map, and then draw a, a flight plan to Edinburgh from London, and then laminate this A4 sheet of paper. So I took it through to her, says, yeah, mom, is um, your, your flight plan. Yeah, hey, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Mad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and um, she went. Can you stop doing this? I do know my realm. <laughs> Is that what you said? That's amazing. <laughs> Peasant. <laughs> Can you stop doing this? I'm I was not like, amused. I just thought, oh, thank you, because it takes me an hour to do these. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sit now, your gaffer's like, oi, why ain't you done this? Go and speak to her. She yeah. said I ain't got to do it. Go and have a word with her and then come back to me. I've got another funny story to tell you as well. We had um, this steward, um, really, really camp steward that used to work with us. And he'd been and served us some food. And he come in and he went, she's not the only queen on this flight. <laughs> <laughs> he turns around, he turns around and guess who stood there? Not Lizzie. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went, yes, I am. <laughs> oh, God. What a gal. What a gal. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, did you ever go, did you ever do any tours abroad? Uh, yes, I've been to Afghanistan. Yeah. How's that? It was, um, it was quite, it was scary. I mean, we had, I mean, I got out there at the same time as my new commanding officer. Yeah. Um, he only lasted two days. He, he broke down in tears. And I remember um, I was about three weeks into the tour. Um, a friend of mine worked on one of the helicopters and we've witnessed that getting shot down. Yeah. God. But That's yeah. Rough, it? Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I have a bit of PTSD from that tour. When the kids have balloons at birthday parties or anything like that, I am I'm on edge because I'm waiting for them to pop. Um, yeah. That's the only kind of like loud noise that, that scares me. Yeah, it's uh, it can't be nice though. It's, it's, no, yeah. it's Being it's nice. no surprise that you that people do go into to war like that and do come out scarred. Yeah, especially like you say when you're seeing helicopters and shit like that get shot out sky. Mm. It's I can't imagine it. You know, someone who's never been in that environment and have them experiences I, I can't imagine it no way yeah it's tough isn't it mm. it's just tough it takes um, a certain kind of person to do that kind of job and i know i'm not that kind of person you've got to have some fucking resilience and you big mm. big resilience to particularly in those scenarios where it's kill or be killed isn't it in, you know, yeah on that on that front line you know, it's I mean, I always thought I'd, I'd be safe because I was going to be in the, the radar control tower. Yeah. But when the sirens go off all the time in the middle of the night and stuff like that, and you've got to take cover and stuff like that, it, it 
does take its toll on you, definitely. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, thank, thankfully we've got a you know we've got a good military that keeps us that keeps us safe. But yeah, what a what a tough gig for for people to you know to go through, particularly when you you know from the I guess from the moment that nine eleven happened, really it'd been rest, you know I think it'd been relatively quiet war wise until that point, and then for that and it was going on for such a long time, and so many people lost their lives. It's uh, yeah, you can't, as, a, as someone that's not experienced it, you can't, you can't really imagine it, can you? No, you can't. How long were we in there for? How long were we in Afghan for? It was a four-month tour. Yeah, that's long enough, isn't it? Yeah. Seeing them camel spiders? Yes. <laughs> Don't you get freezing? Uh, at night, yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I'd heard that before. But yeah, absolutely freezing. You'd expect to be red hot, wouldn't you? Yeah. Walking around with your tits out all the time, didn't you? <laughs> See, I, we used to have a lot of banter with the uh, the army guys because the army guys had to stay in tents and we got port cabins. <laughs> we were post forces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, God. So, uh, so tw- 12 years then. 12 years you did that. So that's a stint. What's that, 19 to 31? Yeah. What made you uh, What made you decide to come out? Well, I'd done my 12-year service and I'd, I just thought I don't want to extend it. I wanted to come home back to my family in Warsaw, which I soon regretted. <laughs> uh, um, because when I, when I, I mean, I'll tell you why I regretted that. I came back and I was back home for about two weeks, going back out with my old mates. And we were doing the same stuff again, just same shit, just sitting in the pub. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like life, life yeah. hadn't really changed for them. No, nothing had changed at all. They were telling me what they'd done, you know, going out to the pub and meeting birds and stuff like that. Whereas my life in the military had changed. I'd been on skiing expeditions. I'd spent a tour out in Cyprus. Um, and I'd, I'd done so much stuff. There's a lot of life experience, isn't it? Yeah. Stuff that the average Joe would never get to experience really or the average tim <laughs> so yeah, i remember you saying when we spoke that you just got at that point at 12 years you'd done your service but then you were sick of being away i was i mean i'd spent even though we were a big family there were times where i felt so lonely because i thought i was like oh i wonder what my friends are doing back home i wonder what my family are doing and i think it was about two christmases in a row i'd spent doing guard duty so we were just stood in a hut with with a rifle on on the guard for hours on end and it was it just got yeah i mean we, there was so much banter but there was other times like i say i was I, I did feel lonely i remember one weekend i was thinking about this earlier actually one weekend where everyone had gone home and i didn't have enough money to pay for my train ticket to get home and i just sat in my room a little box room in the barracks and i just i just got so low and it was was absolutely pissing it down outside and i went for a walk just in my t-shirt around the local town i don't know why i did it i just thought oh i need to get out of this room i felt really claustrophobic yeah but yeah then when everyone else came back it was my mood had changed it's, it's hard to explain what do you mean by your mood had changed I was just glad that everyone was back and I had people to 
to go to because we used to go to the Naffy and we'll probably come back onto this a bit later. So there's not a lot to do on on the barracks or the RAF base. So we used to go to the Naffy, which is a bar. So most nights you'd go to the bar and have a drink. Yeah, so it's kind of like I mean they used to call it at the time the biggest drinking culture. Well, what like you say, what else is there to do as such? You're you're a group of people that are stuck in one place aren't you on your yeah. your barracks and that kind of stuff so oh, it could be for a drink well yeah right and yeah we're only going to sit and do it here anyway so and i should imagine as a guest it were pretty cheap in that place absolutely yeah yeah we're talking yeah pens. yeah let's move on to you you're coming out then so how was that transition from being a 12-year vet to to going back into civvy life Originally, it was quite a nice break. I was glad to to be out of it and come back with some friends. And then, like I said, just felt like, what's going on here? But it, something really strange happened. I got an email from um, a bloke in the UAE. This isn't going to go the right way, is it? <laughs> I was headhunted because he said, oh, we've been told you air traffic control, a few ex-military air traffic controllers that have joined our company do you are you do you think you're interested and i said yes i went down again down to london we we met and there was a few of us actually that were ex-military we met this guy we just sat in a bar <laughs> again <laughs> and he went loves it yeah I, I don't need to interview you you know you've got all this military experience you fancy coming out to the uae and i was there again a few months later doing it jet how was it out there Hot. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I left air traffic control because I didn't think I wanted to do it anymore. But I went out and it was it was an amazing lifestyle. We had a five year contract. It was all I mean, I lived on the Palm Island in Dubai. Yeah. Uh, with a friend for a bit and then moved into my own apartment. And then my wife came out with the kids. So we lived out there for a bit. The job initially was okay but then it was it was i don't know if i really want to say it it started to get a bit difficult because of the company we were working for yeah so yeah they they became quite harsh yeah like like some of the if they didn't like something you'd done you'd got to go and walk around i mean it never happened to me you have to go and walk around the air traffic control tower in 50 degree heat actual punishment punishment yeah yeah it's a bit bit backwards isn't it yeah i mean it's i can only describe dubai as an absolutely lovely place on the outside but when you go to the the outskirts and the the back of it it's there's it's really quite impoverished and the way some of the emiratis treat other races i found really difficult yeah Tough gig, but you stick you stick that out for five years. Yeah, just about five years. We came out to see you just after your first was born. You did, yeah. Just after, yeah. Me and me and Stace came out. I think she'd only been a few weeks old when she came out, and we went in in November. And fucking hell, it was like thirty degrees in November. It was amazing. Yeah. But like I say, it's such it's it's such a strange place, Dubai. Is that? I'd say it's definitely worth seeing, 100%. You know, go and see it, like, go and see that massive building, which is ridiculous. You just feel like your head's just going up forever when you're looking up. Because we did, I think we did four 
four nights in a hotel and four nights in at your place with you guys and it's it is a different world it is so strange and i've never seen so many starbucks in my life <laughs> no. literally like you walk 100 yards and there are starbucks oh there's another one there look you literally just everywhere you look they're all over yeah it's it's definitely a place i'd say go and see but whether no, i go you, back again i don't know you've got something about our was it water skiing? Not water skiing. Uh, wakeboarding. Wakeboarding. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Gav were like, oh, I booked his wakeboarding. I was like, brilliant. I like, okay. And I'm thinking, I've never done it before, but I've, I've seen it. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we set off. I'm like, I can't remember how we were talking about it. But I'm like, I said to Gav, oh, you got your shorts? He's like, what? I'm like, your swimming shorts. And he's like, what do I need swimming shorts for? I'm like, it's in the fucking sea. <laughs> so <laughs> on the way, we had to go into one of the massive Dubai malls, which is bigger than out you've ever seen. Massive compared to like Medoral. Unbelievable yeah. how big they are. Like some of them have got like theme parks and stuff like that in it. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we went we went and got these these shorts. And honestly, I've never done wakeboarding before and I never want to do it again. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Just either of us, because it were it wakeboarding, it weren't on a wire. We were being pulled by a speedboat and literally just trying to get to your feet. Neither of us did it. I think we probably both lasted about three seconds max. I'm, until we, I'm gonna book. I'm gonna book it for this summer. At, um, is it is it Rother Valley to do it? Yeah. <clears throat> well, oh, I'll, mate, we'll have a one that why I want to see it. I reckon I could do it. It's hard. I reckon I could do it. Apparently, I can't. So anyway, we we did that. The guys on the, the boat were like, just giving us beer and that kind of stuff, weren't they? Like, oh, I'll have a drink. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just sand, red hot. And then, and then they went, do you mind, uh, you know, would it be all right if we went and looked at a boat? And we're like, what? I'm like, yeah, there's a boat we want to go and buy. All right, yeah, yeah. Well, well yeah, we ain't got nothing else to do. Next thing was like, we were pirates. <laughs> like, we pulled up next to this boat, we're on this boat. We're like, what's going on? I'm like, Gavin's Dude, do, do, dubious characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was a proper random, weren't it? Yeah, we thought we, they were gonna nick that boat. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Just get on it. Come on, let's go. I'll tell you something though, some of the boats around there were ridiculous. Oh my gosh. The money in Dubai is just crazy. I had a similar scenario in uh, we went on oh, old I think we were in Italy. It's either Italy or Cyprus. Gets in his taxi and there's a guy and then a guy sat in the front seat and they looked suspicious out. And they just weren't taking where I wanted to go. It's like, no, no, we need to go and do something. I was like, stop the taxi now. Like, middle of nowhere, just got out. I was like, I ain't doing it. I ain't getting killed by you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it a good choice, mate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, being alive is definitely better than, better than being dead. So, five years in Dubai, shit at wakeboarding. <laughs> um, <laughs> we decided to make the move back to the UK. Yeah, we just my contract ended. We decided we wanted to move back. We missed the family. It was quite difficult for all of us being out there at the time. Yeah, even though the, even though the money was good, <laughs> but yeah, the contract ended, so we decided to come home. So that is part one of this epic two-parter, the first two-parter of our short podcast career, Timothy. Yeah, not bad, eh? Like we almost know what we're doing. 
we're getting there, aren't we? We're getting there. Yes, mate. Yes, we're mate. There. Probably worth mentioning now as well. We have got a couple of big podcasts planned for the future, so watch this space for what's coming. I won't explain the beans just yet, but it's going to be some good stories, hopefully. Oh. It's interesting to listen to a a guy, a normal bloke like us, tell us about their life. I mean, what a journey that the guy had. Yeah, it's very eye-opening especially like with the military and stuff like that like we said in in the pod you know it's not something that i could do it's not a, a career path i could ever go down no way and you obviously can't even, like i can't even put myself in that shoes you know what i mean i can't even contemplate what you have to go through in the military particularly particularly when you're when there's active you know yeah going on. that's the that's the thing i think that a fair play to me did a stint didn't he he did, yeah. Like I say, and then touring Afghan and stuff like that, and in the stuff that he saw there with the the helicopter and that. You just, again, normal people like us that haven't been through that. I can't imagine it. And you can see why. It. Yeah, you can see why he says things about PTSD and stuff like that. Because I just can't. I can't compute it yeah. at all. But yeah, very um, a very interesting story. Very um, interesting story. But not a bad way to come out of RAF though and then find yourself in somewhere like Dubai. I know. I know. It's like a storied life. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. many different, so many different layers to what he's doing. You know, working air traffic control over there. Yeah. Oh mate, I can say when we went out there we're absolutely baking and we went out in the November. It's just but everywhere is aircon. Everywhere. Like is that pre-kids or post-kids? You went for us it was pre. Dream. Yeah. It was a dream, mate. Yeah. You you did the right way around. I had kids well early, so like we didn't get that chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, like like I said in it, it's it's a place it's probably worth seeing, but I don't think I'd go back there for a holiday. You're sat on the beach on the palm and you've got like skyscrapers in the background. Yeah, weird. I do fancy, I do fancy Dubai. It's a very strange place. Yeah, I'd like to go to Dubai, Singapore, and then Australia. Hmm. Well, a lot of they're kind of connecting flights, aren't they, for that kind of to, for going out yeah. to Australia? I just need to save about 15 grand, that's all. <laughs> the thing is, if I go somewhere like Australia, I don't ever want to come back. Yeah. I want to, I want to stay there. Yeah, I suppose so, until a bit like with Gav, you don't know how it's going to be when you're there. And, you know, he, he did five years and came back because he was missing his family. You know what I mean? And yeah. him and his him and his missus wanted to come back with having kids and that. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot different when you're out there, isn't it, to living in a yeah. dream world like me. <laughs> um, yeah, very interesting story. Very interesting story. With part two coming up with some really interesting bits coming up from discussing mental health, working in mental health, drinking, drink driving, some real scenarios that we talked to him about and you know, fair play for him for for being so uh, so open and honest. I think it's a story that will really resonate with some people, particularly through lockdown and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a good uh, it's a good chat. Yeah, I agree with that bit around the like the COVID. Cause, well, like, again, like we said on it, it's what people were doing. 
Yeah. People did it, didn't they? So people sat drinking in the Iceland sunshine. Stopped. Iceland stopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So no, it's, yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. So we will hopefully see everyone on the next pod. Well, see you, obviously. Hopefully, hopefully everyone will get a chance to listen to the next the next bit that's uh, that's coming along. And like we said, we've got some guests lined up. We've got some podcasts scheduled. So hopefully, we'll drop one every couple of weeks, time permitting. Tim's a very busy boy. So is Ben. (laughs) (laughs) All um, good. All good. So we'll catch you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, Tim.